Good morning, everyone. It's really nice to see you this morning. Um, we have uh, been going through uh, an exciting time for us here at our church and been introducing you to our vision statement and the values that we want to uphold. And I know that uh, this is true for me. I think it's probably true for some of you as as well, that the past few weeks and the things that we've been talking about have led to some interesting maybe interior dialogue <laughs> or conversations with other people. Um, we have been, uh, we've been talking about what it means to, to uh, ask God for guidance and then what we do with that. And I made the confession to you last week that I'm afraid that most often what I have done in my ministry in my life is that I have made a plan and then asked God to bless that plan and then gone ahead with it. And what's challenging about what we are uh, doing right now is instead of going that route, we are praying to God and we are asking God to give us guidance on, on what to do, uh, what he wants us to do, who he wants us to become. And then we are waiting and listening for him. But I know that there are still questions about this. <laughs> and uh, in particular... If this is if this is something different for you, as in some ways it's really it's different for me, then how do I know when God is speaking to me? Because I thought God was speaking to me before, but if I wasn't giving enough time to speak into things, then how do I know now that He's speaking to me? Right? I mean, <laughs> there are some logistical problems here, aren't there? Well, I want to share a story with you uh, very briefly this morning. But before I do, I want to read to you one brief verse that we often go to. When we talk about seeking God's will and knowing what he has for us in our lives, it comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. Some of you might be able to recite this by heart. 3, 5, and 6. It's our go-to. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I have a, a really good friend who was a youth minister at the same time that I was a youth minister up in Sacramento. And uh, at some point towards the end of his youth ministry there, he decided that he wanted to take part in a church planning venture. And he was actually recruited by the organization Kairos, which plants churches all over the place. And they went to these retreats and things he and his wife did. And uh, Kairos was very interested in them. But they said, to, they said to them, you need to do some of these things in your own ministry before you go out and plant a church somewhere. So they altered their youth ministry. They did more outreach things. They, they, they worked on this. So they got to a place where Cairo said, okay, now start making your plans. So they spent another whole year putting plans together. They had a booklet. They chose a site. They were going to plant a church in San Jose. They started going out and visiting different people. And they, they, they made all of these arrangements and plans in different things. And they were so excited about it. They were so ready to go, they were ready to do this thing that they believed God was calling them to. All the signs seemed to point to that. But as it came closer and closer to time for them to uh, actually leave the church that, that he was working at and to go do this, uh, Aaron, my friend, he was growing more and more uncomfortable with the whole idea. And he couldn't explain why. It just was feeling more and more every day that this was not what they were supposed to be doing. Think about that for a second. 
They had spent years praying and planning about doing what? Planting a church. And as it came closer, they started to feel like planting a church was not something they should do. So they prayed and fasted for three days, looking for clarity. And at the end of those three days, this effort to listen to God, God told them, don't move to San Jose, don't plant a church, and it's okay. It was not really what they were expecting, but immediately Aaron said he felt at peace once they had made that decision. But he had already decided he was going to leave this church here in Sacramento, so they played out the rest of their time. He looked around at some different things he could do, and and he prayed about it a lot, and he decided that he wanted to become an RN. So he applied and got to uh, got into College of the Siskiyous uh, up by Shasta. And in the meantime, this little tiny church in Weed, California, had been after him to come up and do some things. So when they decided they were going to leave, uh, he called the church and said, we're going to be in your area. Uh, maybe we can do some work uh, for you or with you. And they said, well, we can't pay you anything, but we have a house. And you can live in the house for free. Which they said, okay. We will. So they moved up to Weed. And in the four or five years, four years or so that they've been there, I just have to tell you that God has done incredible things through them in that community. They've gone through a fire in that community together, but it's much smaller than Santa Rosa. And the whole community joined together. Their church got to help counsel people after the fire. They, they're, a, they're an invaluable part of that whole group. The church has, has grown some, and they ha- do outreach to college students, and Aaron is close to becoming an RN, which then he said, the best thing about it is, when I become an RN, I could do whatever kind of ministry I want to do for free, and I can still support my family. What does it look like <laughs> to seek the will of God in our lives and to find it? Well, I don't want that story to scare you, but I do want to say this. If we are truly seeking God, and if we are waiting on him and listening, here's what I know, because it's true from my own life experience as well. God will send us the direction he wants us to go. Now, we have to keep listening to him. We have to keep seeking him. But that feeling that Aaron got, Before he was going to go plant this church, you know who that was from. It was from God. To tell him to do something else, something completely unexpected, where he left, he's leaving vocational ministry altogether, but doing something different and is so excited about the opportunities he's going to have in the kingdom because of that. And he got to do everything with a small church that he had hoped to do with a church plant. God is good. And I'm going to say this again. If we are asking God for guidance and help, and if we are waiting on him and listening to him, we need to remember that we have nothing to be afraid of. So uh, five-year-olds through sixth grade are upstairs. Uh, Three- and four-year-olds are in a classroom off the back hall.
and birth through two years old are in the nursery. And the rest of you get to stay in adult daycare. <clears throat> so, hi. There is a footnote that I would like to add to my introduction from this morning um, that, I, that, I, that I save for this moment because I think it's a good, it, it's a good thing to think about as, as we get into our next value today. Uh, I told you earlier about uh, my friend Aaron who um, left his ministry and is now working with a small church and starting to become an RN, but I want to share with you something that he told me uh, when I talked to him on the phone this week. He said that he didn't realize how he was limiting himself by not ever considering other options that God might have for him. Isn't that interesting? Because as a vocational minister, as someone who does it professionally, you wouldn't think that finding a different vocation would allow you to do God's work in a way that is different. And I thought that was such an, uh, an interesting thing for us to hear at this time. Because we have talked about, um, via our mission statement, we believe that the love of God in Jesus changes what? And we talked a lot last week about being afraid of that change. But there is something exciting that we've been talking about at the same time, and that is this. We don't know what it is that God is going to show us. And while that might create some anxiety within us, at the same time, it's exciting for this very reason. We limit ourselves. And we limit what we think God is going to do in us or through us. And a lot of times, we don't even know we're doing it. I'll give us the benefit of the doubt. We don't even know we're doing it. But I'm hoping that like my friend Aaron, we will discover, we will see those limits and see new possibilities through what God wants to do. Amen? I mean, isn't that what this is about in our lives and what our faith is about? Is about our limits being taken away and a whole new world of possibilities open up before us. God doesn't just remove the barrier of sin in our life, you see? It's not just that. God removes that barrier, but he also empowers us so that we can do things through the power of God and through his Holy Spirit that we could never do on our own and we would probably never even think to do. Because if we tried to do it by ourselves, it might not go so great. But with the power of God and the Holy Spirit on our side, church, God could do anything. And that's an exciting thing. And that's one of the reasons, again, why the leadership has chosen uh, this vision statement. Because we want God to change everything. We want God to transform us. And we want to be a place where people are transformed. Where when they encounter the love of God in Jesus Christ, their lives will never be the same again. Because that's who we believe Jesus is. He is a life changer. Now, we've identified some values uh, that we believe will help us carry out 
uh, this vision, things that we think God wants us to focus on as a community. And the first value uh, was belong, where Jesus changes the way we experience community. We are a family that accepts people as they are. Our family looks out for one another and encourages each other to be more like Jesus every day. We take responsibility for one another and strive to help each other know the love of Jesus in all of life's ups and downs. And again, I know I say this every week. I'm going to keep saying a lot of things every week. You've probably, you've probably caught on to that by now. The community that is formed by the love of God in Jesus is going to be different than any other community. Because of the love of God in Jesus. It is just, it's going to be different than any other community we could be a part of. The second value is grow. Jesus changes the way we see ourselves. Who are we? We are imperfect people. In every moment and everything we do, we need the love and grace of God that is found in Jesus. This need defines us, but it does not discourage us. There is always something better in Jesus, and we want to continually grow into that something. So, we are perpetually becoming. We are always in the process of discovering who God wants us to be and what is next for us. And again, that's an exciting thing. That God always has a destination, a place for us to go. And we believe that whatever change God gives us is going to help us take that next step and is going to be better than whatever it is we're doing now. I mean, you may really like church now. And you may really like your relationship with God now. But I have good news for you. When God changes things, it'll be even better. You'll like it even more. Hopefully I'll still be here for that. So this morning, uh, we are going to introduce you to our third value. And again, these values are, are the things that we sort of want to funnel uh, our ministries, our ideas, all things through these values and, and to help us uh, become the change that we think God wants us to be. So our third value is give. Jesus changes the way we respond to others. Jesus saw people and loved them in a dynamic and passionate way, no matter who they were, no matter where they were. He responded to what he saw. We want our eyes to be open so that we can love people in that same way. It's good, right? Yeah. And this is one of those values, particularly for us. I mean, maybe grow was a little bit more challenging, but this is one of those values that kind of resonates within us already. Because this is something that the church, and not just our church, but a lot of churches, this is a value that's important to them. And uh, so there's already probably some passages of the Bible that are jumping to your mind that would help reinforce this. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40. Maybe this is one of them. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothing, clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Here's a second verse that we're going to add uh, to that one to help us flesh out this particular value. From 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now when we talk about giving, again, that Matthew passage is probably one of them that jumps out in our heads. And there's a lot to like about that Matthew passage from Matthew chapter 25. Uh, One of the things to like about it is it gives us a certain list of things to do, which we like that. We like the clarity of that kind of a moment. And Within this passage, Jesus communicates a fundamental kingdom value. Like I said, it transcend, it's bigger than us. It's something that's kind of understood throughout all of Christianity, and that is this. We are to take care of those around us. We are to give food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, shelter to the stranger, clothes to those without, care to the sick, and support to those in prison. Now, the thing we need to remember, however, is that this idea is not something that originated with Jesus. He's not the one that started this. Um, From the very beginning, God intended that his people would work hard to take care of others. Listen to this this verse from Leviticus chapter 9. God even made the care of others part of his law. Leviticus chapter 19, I'm sorry, verses 9 through 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Now, I love that last part, I am the Lord your God, because what it lends a certain amount of gravity to this command, right? Who's saying it? The Lord your God is saying it. So if you have this huge piece of land and you're going to harvest everything, what are you supposed to plan to do? To leave some so that people can come behind you and if they are poor and don't have any food or anything, they can pick up what you intentionally left behind. So we know that the people of Israel were supposed to take care of each other from verses like these. But they were also, and this is something you may not have be as familiar with, they were also supposed to take care of foreigners who came through their land. So if someone was traveling from point A to point B, and they were somewhere in the middle there, they were supposed to care for those people. And in the context um, of this parable that we read in Matthew chapter 25, where, where the, the people who did these good things are rewarded, It is the sheep that belonged to the shepherd that took care of everyone who was around them. When 
when he looks down and he sees all these things that they did, he is claiming them uh, because they belong to him. But when Jesus tells us that we should take care of those who are in need around us, there is an extra element that we need to be aware of. So maybe there's a law that says you should leave things behind for those who, can't, who don't have anything to eat. Or maybe we do it because God tells us to do it. You know, this is what the sheep do. They take care of other people. But there is something that goes along with this which is absolutely crucial and essential to giving to others. There is a reason, you see, why we give to others. As we see from 1 John 4, he tells us that we must love each other. Now, in that passage from 1 John 4, the writer um, is talking about the body of Christ. So he's talking specifically about those who are in Christ, who know God and have a relationship with him, when he says that we need to love one another. But before we get too specific, we have to remember that Jesus showed his love to everyone he encountered, whether they were Jewish or not. In fact, some of his most dramatic loving stories happened to people that had no relationship with God. And this is the same Jesus who told us in Matthew chapter 5 that when we encounter enemies and those who work against us, what are we to do? Love them and pray for those who persecute us. So, what is the principle that is at the very bottom of us giving to other people? If it's not because it's a law, if it's not because God told us to, then what is the reason why we give to other people? What did we see in 1 John chapter 4? We love because he first loved who? Us. We love because he first loved us. So in order to understand this value, because we already give, right? I mean, Aaron came up this morning and, and talked about supporting a mission cause. You know, we, we do uh, nomadic shelter. We've, we've fed people on Monday nights forever. So we do a good job of giving. So the question is what? Well, if we already do a good job of giving, then what needs to change about how we give? Right? It's a fair question. If God is going to lead us to something new, what needs to change about how we give? But more importantly, how does experience the love, experiencing the love of God in Jesus actually change the way that we respond to other people? Because experiencing the love of God in Jesus should change the way that we treat everyone. Every single person that we encounter. Our behavior should be changed by the love of Jesus. So what motivated Jesus to respond the way that he did? And how does the way that we see people need to change in light of that? So here's, I just want to make it really simple, okay? Um, and then I'll complicate it later. I think that the most simple way to put it is that Jesus, when he saw people, he had compassion for them. He had compassion on everyone he met. I believe that was one of the primary things that Jesus felt when he saw everyone. Now, you might already be thinking, well, Bryce, there are some people that Jesus didn't like. 
And there are some people that Jesus yelled at. And there are some people that that just got on his bad side and stay at his bad side. And it's pretty clear that he did not respond in compassion at those times. So how could compassion be the hallmark of everything he did? And, And that's true. But there are three main reasons why Jesus responded in anger to these groups of people. Number one, they were misrepresenting God in some way, shape, or form. Number two, they did not understand what Jesus was doing and they pushed back against the coming kingdom. Not just against him, but about what he was telling the world about God. But here's number three. Number three is just as important. He got very angry with those who did not have compassion on those around them. And it's all over the Gospels. He gets so frustrated about how some religious people are holding others down, are using God against the poor or those who are on the outside. It drives Jesus crazy when he sees that. But we shouldn't get things confused. Jesus had compassion on all of those people, even though they might have stood in opposition to them. And I've told you this before a long time ago. The Pharisees, who were the teachers of the law at the time, and who always stood in opposition to Jesus, they were basically, you know, his enemies throughout the whole gospel as we read it. But I want you to know something. Jesus desperately wanted the Pharisees to come to know God. Desperately wanted them to come to know God. You know why? Because their entire life was centered around God, and yet they had missed the point. And that had to break Jesus' heart. It had to. So, a key point for us this morning, when Jesus encountered people from all different walks of life, he felt compassion for them. So let's get into this idea of compassion a little bit more. The compassion that Jesus felt, it came from a source. Okay? Do you know what the source of Jesus' compassion? What was it? It was God. God was the source of Jesus' compassion. Now, let's look for a second at the definition of this word compassion. Compassion means a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Okay? Who does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus, and it sounds like God. It sounds like what they are all about. God, who looked down on what he created, a creation that had spent most of its existence denying that he existed, running away from him every chance they got. And he looked down at his creation and what did he see? What did he see? You can say it louder, it's okay. He saw sorrow and suffering. He felt deep sympathy and sorrow for another who was stricken by misfortune. 
He saw us trapped in our sin. He saw us trapped in this cycle of always making the wrong choices and doing the wrong things. He saw what Paul described. I know what I ought to do, but I don't do it. He saw all of that. And what did God do? He sent Jesus to do what? To overcome the situation that we were in. To save us from our sin and from death. He was moved by sympathy and sorrow. And so because he is God, he did something about it. Our God is a compassionate God. He is a compassionate God. Listen to this uh, passage from the book of Lamentations. I know it's weird it's in Lamentations. But even in the midst of sorrow and complaint, listen to what the writer says in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his what? His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now, Bryce, did you pick a passage that said wait twice? Yes, I did. But listen to what that verse... I love the the use of the word compassion there instead of love. I really do. And, And it's compassion in the plural. His compassions never fail. Which means that when God looks at us, what does he see? And what happens to him when he looks at us? His heart is moved. Not once, but again and again and again. Because guess what? We need God to be compassionate all the time. Every day, we need God to be compassionate. In light of God's compassion for us then, what is Jesus? Jesus is the direct embodiment of God's compassion for us. If you look back at the, at the definition, right? it's a movement of the heart accompanied by what? Action to change it. Jesus is the embodiment of the compassion of God. God's heart is moved, and therefore he does something about it, which is Jesus. When we see Jesus doing all of these things in his life, walking around, teaching, touching, healing, it is a sign of how God's heart is moved for us. And his desire to do something about the situation we are in. Now, we're used to calling this a different word. We're used to calling it love, right? And love is a great word. But here's why I think compassion is so important. I can say that I love someone, but what does that mean? What are the obligations that I have with that? I mean, I say I love someone and I also love pizza. It's a big word, right? 
And sometimes it's easy to say, I love other people. But you know what? It's a totally different thing to say, I have compassion for other people. There is a sense of action and purpose that is tied to the very definition of the word. That we are moved and then we do. It's why I love that word. So, when Jesus encountered people during his ministry, what was the underlying motive for how he treated other people? It was compassion. And there are so many examples of this in the Bible. From Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 36. I need to take a drink here. I'm drying out. From Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 36. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. I love that verse. There's so much good in that verse. When he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14, verses 13 through 14. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus feeds the great crowd that had followed him. Do you know why he feeds the great crowd that followed him? Because he had compassion on them, it said. Because they had been following him all day and they haven't had anything to eat. And so he has to do something about this. In all of these stories and in so many more, there is a common thread. Jesus' heart is moved and then he acts. His heart is moved and he acts. He has compassion over and over and over again. A deep feeling of sympathy and sorrow for others who are stricken by misfortune. Even if, it's, even if it's just not having eaten today. And then he does something about it. But here's what I think we, we have to figure out, okay? If we are going to be compassionate like Jesus is compassionate, we really do kind of have to change some things about how we look at people. We have to. Now that's not to say that all our giving before is wrong. It's not. I am so amazed at how this church gives. For being a small church, you do some amazing things. And you are so generous. Even so, there might be some things that you need to consider when it comes to viewing other people. So, what do we learn from Jesus? What do we see him do? And here's what I think we see. Number one, he saw people right where they were. They didn't always have to come to him, though sometimes they did. But Jesus healed plenty of people that he was passing by, who were sitting at a gate or sitting by a pool or doing other things. He saw people right where they were. And here's the really neat thing. Jesus paid attention I mean, he was often in a crowd 
or leading a huge crowd somewhere as they just followed him to these places. But he did not overlook other people. His eyes were open and he saw them. But number two, and this is just as important as seeing them, okay? He recognized the condition they were in. Jesus saw people who were hurting and he knew they were hurting. That they were lost or lonely or afraid or rejected or sick or marginalized. He saw these things about them. He recognized this. And without recognition, we won't be moved to compassion. I mean, sometimes, church, it's hard enough for us to just see what's right in front of us. But Jesus saw and then he recognized where they were. And then, number three, his heart felt a deep sympathy for them. I am so sorry you are in this position that you are in. And because he felt this deep sympathy, what did he then do? Something. He did something about what they were experiencing. And the awesome thing about being Jesus is that you can do a lot about what people are experiencing. So if we are going to be compassionate like Jesus was compassionate, then some basic things need to happen. Okay? Some basic things need to happen. We need to see people and stop overlooking them. We need to recognize what the needs of someone are. Our heart needs to be moved for them. And then we need to act on their behalf. Now this applies to more than just food and clothes and kindness. There are many times where the compassion that Jesus felt for others stood in sharp contrast to the way uh, that the world around them treated them. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. It will be up on the screen behind me too. John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This story both excites me and disgusts me. Because here was a woman 
who was caught in the act of adultery, it says. And then the people that caught her, this had to be a setup. I just, in my head, I'm just thinking this has to be a setup, right? What did they do to her? They drag her out. We don't know what condition she's in. And make her stand in front of everybody while they talk about whether they should kill her or not. Do they see her? No. What is she to them? Something to be used. Which might have been the story of her life. Jesus looks at her. And what does he see? Something completely different. He sees her as a person. He recognizes what's going on and how her life must be. He feels great sympathy in his heart. And then he shames everybody. Shames everybody. I think it's, it's interesting in the passage it says the older people left first. Why did the older people leave first? Because they knew. They knew. They knew. And then he turns to her and what does he do? He forgives her. He encourages her. But you have to understand he does more than that. He gives her the opportunity to be someone else. To become someone else. In relationship with this God who will not kill her because she made a mistake. Jesus felt compassion. And I wonder sometimes... When I talk to people who are not Christians, and when we start to talk about why, why they're not a Christian or why they don't go to church, do you know what the reason often boils down to? They did not experience compassion when they experienced a Christian or a church. Instead, they were treated like a woman who had committed adultery. This needs to be dealt with right now. This needs to change before you can come in these doors. Jesus doesn't do that to her. Jesus doesn't do what everyone else. Instead, he raises her up because he wants to introduce her to the God who will allow her to overcome. To the God who will allow her to overcome. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus encountered a man who was possessed by demons. He was so dangerous, he'd been put out into the graveyard, chained up. But he had so many demons in him and so much demon power, he was breaking chains. And he was in such a bad state that he was just cutting himself with rocks all day long. And it makes sense to put him away from the town, from the children. From everything, because he's a lunatic who is 
consumed by these things and has no control over himself. And when Jesus passes by, what does he see? He sees someone who is trapped. And his heart is moved. And then what does he do? He acts on it. And he drives out all the demons. And the man has the opportunity to live a new life. Because Jesus had compassion on him. Listen, this is important. Where other people saw failure, Jesus saw potential. Where others were afraid, Jesus saw someone who was trapped and needed a way out. Where others saw shame and disgrace, Jesus saw someone who could turn her life around in the coming kingdom. His heart was moved and he did something about it. So what does Jesus want us to do then as we give? He doesn't want us to just give. He wants us to be compassionate. And there is a really, really, really good reason why we are compassionate. We love because he first loved us. Listen, as people that have experienced the passion of God, the compassion of God, the compassion of Jesus, as those who were trapped and alone and lost and afraid. And God looked at us and said, I am going to set you free from those things. We, of anyone else in the entire world, should be people whose hearts are moved for those who are suffering. And we should desire to set them free from those things so strongly that we have to do something about it. That we have to do something about it. We don't just give. We have compassion. And when we live in this space where we understand what God has done for us, where we realize how His heart was moved for us and our heart begins to change, guess what? We become generous people. Not just with money or food or clothes, but we have been given so much, you see. Hope, freedom, purpose, forgiveness, grace. We have been given so much. And we have more to give than anyone. More than food. More than clothes. We have more to give than anyone. And the love of God in our lives should make us generous with all that we have. Amen. Don uh, is not able to be here this morning, but he was going to share about this value. So he uh, is not live via video, but he was live on video Thursday. So, uh, <laughs> so we're going to play this here, and he wanted to share a few things with you about this value.
So I'm going to do this on video, and, and I hope it works out. Um, so the topic that, uh, that we decided uh, that I should talk about was give. A lot of that had to do with our uh, Monday night stuff and, and our nomadic shelter. So um, I spent a little time writing down my thoughts, and uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to read it to you and talk to you, try to not not uh, just be a, a person reading, but um, miss you all and wish I was there. So several years ago, Michael and Valerie Demon started a ministry to feed homeless people. They would cook at their home and bring it here to the church and feed 10 or 15 people every Monday night. One evening, two of those guests got into a uh, rather heated argument, and it was so loud that the neighbors called the police. The next morning, the church was notified about their concerns, and since Michael and Valerie had moved over to uh, the Christian church where Valerie's mom was, um, we discussed as elders what we should do about this, this incident. Um, since I wasn't involved in a, uh, a ministry of any kind at that time, I said, I'll go up and watch uh, what's going on and just be there to protect our liabilities with what was going on. Uh, little did I know what God had in store for us uh, as well as me and, and our church and, and some other folks. Uh, shortly after that, through no part of me, uh, the ministry really began to grow. Um, we moved, in fact, it grew so much we had to move out of the team room over to the uh, uh, family Life Center. Uh, after after we served dinner, it was it, the, the thing began to grow, and uh, we'd serve 15 to 20 people. And after that, we'd clean up, and and then Michael would lead a uh, a Bible study. Uh, he was really good at that, and you could just say anything, and and Michael would uh, would be able to talk about it for like an hour or whatever. <laughs> uh, so we had a lot of good time. We sang a lot of songs and. changed 
my heart about what giving really means. Um, so the biggest, the biggest um, goal that we will have moving forward, and whether we continue this Monday night ministry, which we are taking a break from, and we will continue the nomadic shelter ministry, is is um, is what God does reveal to us during that time. And I never forget the one night we were sitting in there talking and, and praying about this as elders about all of these these um, values that we've been talking about. And you know we were talking about you know giving and what that meant and what it meant to to me and to my team on this thing and. And it was about giving food and, and, and warmth and shelter and, and cool nights and things like that when, when the time came. But for some reason, you know, who knows why um, that we didn't think of it before, but um, it was really about what they needed was not food and love and, and stuff. It was what they needed was, was the love of, of God in Jesus so that he could change everything in, in, in their life. Uh, he's obviously changed it in my life through this, and uh, uh, I'm grateful for that. And I know that that whole thing about realizing what, what Jesus meant and what he changes is the simplest thing in the world, but um, it's, uh, it is what it is. And, and I'm grateful to, to have, have heard that from God's Lord. So thank you for that, and thank you for... Uh, uh, listening to me and, and looking at my ugly mug while, uh, while I'm on that big screen. So I'll see you all next week, and I love you all. God bless. Bye. <clears throat> that, um, I should turn the lights on, because I'm the one that turned them off, right? <laughs> the parable in Matthew chapter 25 is the parable of the sheep, the sheep and the goats. And um, you, we read the passage earlier about the sheep who had given and clothed and fed and did all these things. But my favorite thing about that passage is um, when when they're told, you know, you the when they were told that you you saw me, you saw me, you saw me, and they say, well, God, when did we see you? which tells us something so amazing. They did it because they had compassion for other people. That's why they did it. And then the goats come in. And the same thing is said to them, just in the opposite. You did not feed me. You did not do any of these things for me. And they say, well, if we had known it was you, we would have. But they are sent away. Do you know what the opposite of compassion is? Indifference. Indifference. They did not see. They didn't see. We, as a church, we want to see people like Jesus sees them. Yeah? And we want the story of our interaction with others to be a story of compassion. 
that no matter who they are, no matter where they are from, no matter what they are going through, when they encounter us, it's like meeting a friend that they never knew they had. And you better believe that that would change some lives. Amen? Let's pray. God, we ask that you would open our eyes to those around us. Help us to see. Help us to recognize. Move our hearts and spur us to action. God, where our hearts are hard, will you soften those places? God, where we are indifferent, would you show us that indifference? And God, will you help us to be excited about the difference you will make in people's lives and the opportunity we have to introduce them. For you are a God of new opportunities. You are a God who allows U-turns. You're a God who gives another chance. And we are the people of another chance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have any need for prayers or encouragement this morning, you want to know this God who has great compassion for you. We invite you to come forward as we stand singing the song together.